That is the sound of Satan himself ringing through my cell phone alarm at 7.15 in the morning. I hit snooze. He plays again eight minutes later. This process repeats for at least half an hour before I finally drag myself out of bed. I hate waking up for work. I have it pretty easy too, I can get into the office around 9am. Don't get me wrong, I really like my job. But if you asked me a year ago when I was a senior in college what I would be doing after graduation, I wouldn't have said I'd be working a 9 to 5. I wanted to spend the year after graduation in India. Not because I wanted to do some eat, pray, love bullshit, but because I wanted to be a backup dancer in Bollywood. Bollywood is the Hindi film industry and it churns out hundreds of movies every year. Most of them have multiple song numbers. So the song right now, that's playing right now, it's called Lucky Tu Lucky Me and it comes from a somewhat cheesy movie called Humpty Sharma Ki Dulhaniya. The song is set at a club and there's the male hero Humpty and he's trying to impress Kavya, his female love interest. There's dozens and dozens of backup dancers that flood the screen and they perform choreography behind those two leads. I wanted to be one of those dancers in that crowd. I mean, I love to dance. I would have been fine if they shoved me way in the back and if my face never even made it on camera. Just the idea of spending a year in India and having this unusual gap year sounded so exciting to me. But I chickened out. When spring of my senior year rolled around, most of my friends had accepted job offers. They were talking about the places they were moving to and how excited they were to launch their careers. I couldn't fight the FOMO. I was scared that if I took a gap year, I'd be throwing my dreams of being a journalist down the drain. You're listening to Hyphen, a podcast about people living in two different worlds simultaneously. This episode is about artists. So back in 2014, an artist collective called BFAMFAPHD, that's a mouthful, they did an analysis of census data from 2012. They found that there's about 1.4 million Americans whose primary paycheck comes from making some type of art. Nearly 80% of those artists are white. The race with the fewest artists is Asian. Asian Americans make up only 4% of professional artists in this country. An important thing to note about the study, though, is that it only counts people who make their living from their art. This episode will dive deeper and meet some South Asian American performance artists that aren't included in that 4%. Hi, my name is Arushi Agni. Arushi is from Madison, Wisconsin. She's 26, and she has a lot going on in her life. She's taking playwriting courses at UW-Madison. She waits tables at a restaurant. She works at a nonprofit. She does stand-up comedy, and she's a lead singer of a blues folk band. But there was a time when her life was a little less hectic. She graduated a few years back with a double major in biology and international studies, and she spent the first year out of school doing public health research. I wanted to be doing more creative stuff, and I, every day that went by that I wasn't like really fueling my passions was like a day that I felt like was wasted, even though I made money and like I, you know, I was ostensibly doing something good for the world, but I felt like I wasn't contributing the best way that was possible for me. So she quit to focus on art. What was it like uh, telling your parents that you wanted to make the switch? Oh my God, it was terrible. I think that coming from India, they had very specific paths ahead of them. And I know that not all Indian people are like that, but um, 
in terms of my parents, like they're both doctors. They both had a very linear script for how they were going to live their life. And I rem- like, I mean, I've always been so musical. I've grown up around my parents playing music with each other and it was always to them like a hobby. But, um, the way that my, the way that I interact with music is so much more, um, goal oriented almost. For the past two years, Arushi has been the lead singer and only woman in her band, Tin Can Diamonds. I got a nice someone who takes me around. I got a nice someone. The name Tin Can Diamonds is, um, it's kind of this concept that I, has followed me throughout my life is trying to find beautiful things and like, hopeless places I got a nice someone but it's too new with you Arushi defines herself as three things I am a writer musician and stand-up comic and she combines those three identities in the following monologue titled Elevator Song where she reflects on an interaction she had after a Tin Can Diamonds show a year ago The interaction started like any other, and had I been younger or less amped up, I might have just ignored it. But my emotions were heightened by the music, the attention, by the high that I was coming down from. The high. If you've been on stage before, you might understand the absolute thrill of doing something you love while bathing in the light of hundreds of eyes on you. For performers, it settles that hungry little gremlin that lives inside of all of us. The part that just wants to be loved. Feed me! It says, I love attention. The high of performing is not like the high you get from eating flaming hot Cheetos while studying for a big test, or taking that first big bite of a turtle sundae, or even eating Indian food when hungover. If I had to describe it, I'd say it's kind of like a really slow-building orgasm. Your heart beats faster, your pupils dilate, you can feel them drinking in every murmur, every pause, every heaving breath. I keep trying to find your face. In the crowd, searching through all their eyes and losing myself in the sound of all the bleeding beats and tones I wanted to share with you. Still, I just can't change the fact I'll never get to you. We were experimenting with playing our newest song last. It was the only song that we had written back to front, lyrics first and melody later. It came together in an hour in my bedroom the weekend before we performed it for the first time. Sometimes it's hard to explain your vision for a song, but I have to say that this song was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was simply titled elevator song. It's like I'm in an elevator blocked from the highest floor. I'm so easy for you to love, but impossible to adore. 
Let me start by saying that I really wanted to like this person. She had a lot going for her. This pretty white brunette girl was really excited about our show. Like, way more excited than even I was about our show. You guys were so amazing. I absolutely loved it. And that made me happy. I was enjoying a free drink with a group of people that included one of my closest friends and our bassist, and we were talking about what cities we were from. Kenosha, Wausau, Madison, way up north. Always the different one I gave them the over-explanation they craved about where I was from. I moved to Madison when I was a kid. I was born in India, but didn't live there for long before my parents moved to England, then Illinois, then Wisconsin, all before my fifth birthday. We chatted more about the gig, and she said, I loved your last song, by the way. It was so powerful, and I love the lyrics. I beamed. Feed me! And by the way, kudos for not having an Indian accent. I must have given her a shell-shocked look because she followed it up with, I'm not racist or anything, but Indian accents are just so funny. And I love Indian people. We had Indian neighbors when I was growing up in Who Caresville, and I even hooked up with this hot Indian guy, Aditya. I couldn't stop laughing the whole time because his accent was so funny. I looked around at the group I was with. They were unruffled as if to say, How charmingly offensive, dear girl, do go on. Just a moment earlier, we were all talking, laughing, and enjoying our time together. But at that moment, it was like a spotlight shone only on me. And this time, there was no high. Some of the people I admire most have thick Indian accents. People like Dadi, my grandmother, who knows how to count cards and was very successful in hiding money from her husband. People like Nana, my grandfather, who taught me the importance of a daily walk and who never failed to send me a book on my birthday. People like Papa, who can fit an entire stapler into a helium balloon. And this chick told me that I was lucky not to sound like these people that I've grown up admiring. In one phrase, kudos for not having an Indian accent, she flattened all of these people. When she said that to me, whether she knew it or not, that girl tried to recategorize me as somehow being closer to a true American by not having an accent. What she actually did was show me how much discomfort she has with the fact that I come from a different culture. To her, I still have to prove that I'm American. Despite the fact that I've lived here my whole life, that I lined up and took a stupid citizenship test, I jumped through hoops to travel away from here and to apply to school here. I signed a legal document that said I would operate a firearm on behalf of the U.S. government, which is a duty I definitely plan to call in sick for. But still, I am constantly being asked to explain my presence in this country, to prove that I am worthy of the Purple Mountain Majesties and the Amber Waves of Grain. It's like I'm in an elevator, blocked from the highest floor. So easy for you to love, but impossible to adore. That was Arushi Agni, lead singer of the band Tin Can Diamonds. Their self-titled album comes out on May 21st. And it'll be streaming on Spotify and iTunes and wherever music is sold, except not in stores because we're poor. I got a nice someone who takes me around. Let's switch up the tempo from blues folk 
to Bollywood fusion. This song is called Lean On Rangila. It's a mix of last year's summer hit Lean On by Major Lazer with lyrics from a classic Bollywood song called Rangila Re. This track has been played more than 600,000 times on SoundCloud. It was produced by a neuroscience PhD candidate at UPenn named Sri Sritaran. He's also known as Dr. Srimix. Dr. Srimix is 26 years old. He's Sri Lankan American. Growing up, he listened to a lot of music. American music, Hindi music, Tamil music. Baseball was a big part of his life too. He played the sport for 10 years. When he came to Brown University for undergrad, he tried walking onto the team, but they already had a full roster. And so... First semester at Brown, didn't really do anything. I uh, was kind of looking for something to do. And so this guy at an activities fair, uh, a couple years older than me, who eventually became like one of my like uh, big brother types in um, college, uh, said, like, hey, like you look like an athlete. Have you ever considered dance? And I said, no, I have not. Um, but he's like, why don't you come try out? And so I tried out and actually did not make it at all because I had never done dance before. I was extremely uncoordinated. But... Um, the nice thing at uh, Brown is that um, the culture there in terms of parties is that uh, it's very dance-heavy compared to a lot of other schools I've been to where it's very uh, maybe like drinking game heavy or just like, you know, fratty heavy, that kind of thing. Uh, all parties there end up kind of becoming dance parties. So it just ended up becoming a better dancer just by, you know, living day-to-day life like at weekends. You know, people play Indian music and just kind of pick up things here and there. And then I tried out again next semester and then ended up making it out of the team. That team was Brown Badmash, a co-ed Bollywood fusion dance team. My like ex- expansive memory for Indian music really came in use when other people were like, hey, we need songs to dance to. And I was like, hey, I hear all these songs that you probably haven't heard of, but I've been listening to my entire life. And soon, Sri was doing much more than just making suggestions for songs. He became the team's DJ, responsible for mixing music for their performances. Tell me, what was the first, I guess, like songs you remixed either? Do you remember the first? I do, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually still on YouTube, and it should not be. But um, <laughs> someone said, hey, there's this song by Pitbull, Move Shake Drop. Can you make it into a bunger remix? The song you're listening to right now, Sri's very first mix, has nearly 40,000 plays on YouTube. And I mean, I'm just assuming because it was like the pun is like remix, right? Yeah, the pun is remix and remix. And my roommate was like, yo, you should change DJ remix to Dr. remix," Because I was doing a PhD program. And I was like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, all right, screw it. Let's do it. Sri reminds me of like the South Asian equivalent of Hannah Montana. By day, he's doing neuroscience research at an Ivy League university. And by night, he's traveling the country, performing at clubs and creating mixes for dance teams and music enthusiasts. This summer, he'll be touring in Spain with Jay Matt, a singer he's produced beats for. Would you have have you ever thought about just being a musician? Just being a musician. It's a it's an interesting concept because I think um, I'm not sure. And the reason why is right now I'm very much enjoying bo- doing both. 
uh, because it's kind of like that, you know, exercise your left and right side of your brain, you know, that kind of thing. And one thing I want to make sure is I want to, don't want to make sure that my hobbies become a chore in a sense. Uh, I worry that if I became a full-time musician, I would uh, not necessarily burn out, but I would, you know, start to lose the enjoyment and why I did it in the first place. Sri's parents were hesitant at first when they found out he was spending his free time making music. You know, music or dance or that kind of thing, they see it as a constant distraction. Um, and I think it probably took a lot. Definitely, I, you know, did not really publicize anything I was up to in terms of music or dance uh, when it came to my parents. And um, definitely took a lot until my internet presence was high enough that my parents were kind of on their own appreciative of what I was up to. Because I didn't really, and the more I bring it up, the more that it's like, well, this is a distraction, a distraction, right? Um, and so like there was just a negative force. So at some point I was just like, well, I'll just keep doing things the way I think I see fit. And then uh, eventually be, pre- be appreciative of it, of it, you know, if it blows up. And so it has, you know, taken off in some sense. And so I think they're, they're more okay with me doing it now. And I think it's uh, a matter of my sister doing the same thing for them. Sri has a younger sister who is currently wrapping up her freshman year in college. Unlike her older brother, she has no interest in studying science. Maya is a theater arts major. Does she like listening to your music? I don't know. Um, I think she still sees me as like, you know, this like nerd brother type. But um, I haven't asked. Hello? Hey, Maya. Hi. Hey, this is Parth. How's it going? Um, it's going pretty decently. It's finals week. I decided to ask Maya for him. Do you listen to your brother's music? Um, when I can, yes, I do. <laughs> And what was your initial reaction to it? Were you surprised that your brother was making music? Honestly, no, because he's always been really apt with that type of stuff. And he's really creative, so I wasn't surprised, like, in the slightest. I was like, this is freaking awesome. So your brother is, like, this celebrity, basically, in, like, the South Asian <laughs> community. What's that? I know. That like? <laughs> I constantly pick on him for it, and he hates it. Cause, I don't know, it's just so stupid, because I know him. And I've known him all my life because, like, I grew up with him, and he's, like, the stupidest, nerdiest, like, I don't know, like, I don't even know. He's just such a dork. And then for people, and like, to be like, oh, my God, it's Dr. Three Bigs. Can we get a picture with Three? Can we say hi to Three? It's like, that's, like, literally, like, why? Why do you want to do that? He's so weird. <laughs> I'm curious, what, what impact has your older brother's interests and extracurricular act you know performance in arts how how has that influenced you um there's like it's like two sides to it um the fact that he pursued neuroscience uh caused a lot of hell between me and my parents because i did not want to pursue science and because my brother did it was this whole thing like why can't you be more like your brother your brother did this your brother did that so why aren't you doing it and that was tough but at the same time, you know, like when I would talk to my brother and not my parents, it's like he would be talking about all these dance things and these music things. And it, it just, I don't know, the fact that he was able to do that was made me happy. And then, I don't know, there was this one point where he said that he would eventually have to give up dancing. And I remember when he said that, I thought about the prospect of me giving up theater and it literally, like, broke my heart. And I think that was actually the turning point where I was like, I can't let this go. Like, I can't just make this a hobby. It has to be my life. Um, and so you mentioned that it was a pretty big struggle with your parents. When did they come around? Or have they come around? Um, <laughs> I think 
they haven't exactly come around as much as they as they've given up. Um, they just, I think, I don't know. I've just thrown enough fits and been, you know, resilient enough and uh, I don't know, in, like determined enough that they realize that they can't really change my mind at this point. Like ever so often, ever so often, my dad will be like, "Hey, you should take a math class because you need something to fall back on." And I'll be like, "Maybe," but then I won't actually do it. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> As a South Asian American, Maya's decision to pursue an arts degree is rare. But her dream of becoming a professional artist isn't uncommon. No one, no one, no one. Hi, my name is Neveh Prabhakaran, and my dream job would be to be a singer. <laughs> and I started going to a lot of concerts in middle school, so that's like when like the dream started. It was a lot of like pop, punk, rock, like metal. There was one song by a band called Attack Attack. It was called The People's Elbow. <laughs> and like the beginning, like intro part would be like, it would start with like, they would scream, oh, the blood, oh, the blood, oh, the massacre. And then I would like try screaming that in my room. And my mom would be like, like, you sound like it's like devil's music. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Gautam Venkatesh. I'd say my passion and my hobby and my dream job actually would be to be a guitar player, to both teach, perform in like uh, any area actually, on stage, in schools, like personal. I just love playing guitar. I started when I was about eight years old and I'm currently 19. Uh, my major is actually neurobiology right now, so pre-med, all the hardcore classes and music just allows you to escape from all of that. Hi, my name is Naveen Rihal um, and I love to dance. Um, when I was younger, I've tried ballet, I've tried belly dancing, I've tried clogging, I do Bollywood, I've done different types of Indian classical, Indian folk dancing, hip hop. So it's like, it's a good way to kind of learn about the world. I, dance has always been the hobby for me and it's been a hobby that I've stuck with um, and would like to continue to stick with, but it's always just a hobby. Naveh, Gautam and Naveen have never seriously considered pursuing a career in the arts. For them, it's just been a hobby. Their parents want them to do something with science, you know, something that can lead to a stable income, a reliable source of income. And it makes sense. As the children of immigrants, our parents have worked hard to establish themselves in this country. They don't want to see their kids struggle. My kids, I would honestly let them do whatever I want. I think that's kind of the thing of being a second generation, like, uh, like Indian American here. My parents came straight from India, so I think they're still getting accustomed to both like our 21st century lifestyle and the traditional Indian lifestyle. But I feel like I'm more, I've lost touch with my traditional side, I'd, I'll let's be honest. And I, when I have kids, I feel like I'd let them do whatever they want because that's how, kind of how the American tradition is. It's follow your dreams, do what you're passionate about. Money's not an issue at all. Like it's what's, what makes you happy, honestly. I met Niveh, Gautam and Naveen through Wisconsin Surma, UW-Madison's Bollywood fusion dance team. There's a community of hundreds of people around the country on competitive Indian dance teams. The vast majority of them are linked to a university. The radio station I work at is located on the University of Wisconsin campus. And one day back in September, I was walking out of work and next to the rack where my bike was locked, there was this group of students, this group of brown students, and they were standing in front of a poster and they were pulling in people to talk to them about their dance team. I kid you not, I think it was fate. Despite the fact that I'm not a student, they let me and a handful of other quote-unquote adults join the team. We're a group of 20-some people that meets a couple times a week to work on a routine that we performed at four different competitions around the country this year. 
What I love about the Desi dance circuit is that it's something that South Asian Americans created for themselves. There is no equivalent of this in India. Like 20 years ago, some college students must have been looking for a way to showcase their culture and they put together a dance team. And that just spread. Now there are dozens of competitions around the country and dancers from all over pour their free time in preparing for these performances. It's like a part-time job. Wisconsin Surma is made up of aspiring computer scientists, business students, future doctors and dentists. Nobody is dedicating their studies towards pursuing a full-time job in the arts. But art doesn't have to be a source of income for it to be a part of your identity. When I moved to Wisconsin for my job, I thought I was throwing away my plans for an exciting gap year. But I guess I didn't have to take a year off and go to India to become a Bollywood dancer. Thanks for listening to Hyphen. If you like the stories you heard in this episode, check out browngirlmagazine.com. You'll find tons of articles all about the experiences of people living in between two worlds. And don't be misled by the name. Brown Girl Magazine has content for people of all gender identities. Check the website out at browngirlmagazine.com. Thanks to my editor, Maureen McCollum. Shout out to Arushi Agni, Sri Srutharan, Maya Srutharan, Nive Prabhakaran, Gautam Venkatesh, and Naveen Rahal for lending their stories for this episode. You can find the list of songs used in this episode at hyphenpodcast.com. Just click on episode three. Stay tuned for the next episode of Hyphen. I said episode like 10 times in the last sentence. <laughs> <laughs>